it was a cheerleader and someone was standing on top of someone else and there was a <laughs> boxing ring at the top. It said like three touches from sales, deal closed, woohoo. Then underneath the person, the cheerleader at the base, it said marketing team, 48 touches, <laughs> six social media posts, three emails, six months. And you know, it's, it's a joke. It's not really 48. It can't be 48 touches. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Do you employ or pay workers in other countries? Even if you don't yet, you might soon. Now that remote work is the norm, employees have more freedom than ever to move around. If you want to keep the best people, you have to stay flexible. That's why remote makes it easy for companies of all sizes to employ global teams. They take care of international payroll, benefits, taxes, and local compliance, so you can focus less on paperwork and more on growing your business. Remote helps you onboard full-time employees or contractors in countries all over the world in minutes on its simple, easy-to-use platform. And even better, Remote helps you rest easy by providing you the most comprehensive intellectual property protection and data security in the industry. They own full local legal entities in all their covered regions, guaranteeing you never have to deal with a third party ever. To save you money, Remote never charges any fees or salary percentages. You get access to everything Remote offers from payroll to compliance and to benefits management for one low flat rate. No hidden fees, no surprises ever. Just the best global employment solution in the business. Best of all, podcast listeners get an even bigger discount. Get your first employee free for 12 months and two months free for any additional employees onboarded during their first year. You can get 50% off Remote's full suite of global employment solutions for your first employee for three months. Just visit remote.com leaders and use the promo code leaders. Hey leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. Today I am excited to welcome Laura Hoffman. Laura and I met by doing the, the sales and marketing thing, you know, across the vast interweb. So, Laura, give an introduction of yourself. Uh, I'm sure you can do it better than I can. <laughs> Thanks, Ledge. Hey, everyone. My name is Laura, and I am currently bringing the power of 2D millimeter wave imaging to industry. And I'm doing that by being a mark- key marketing player on a small team and a small startup. And I've really been a melting pot of marketing functions throughout my career and a melting pot of company sizes and industry. And one of the things that is one of my goals to do is to be able to use the power of podcasting for a business purpose. And so, yeah, Ledge, that's how we originally met. And we did start talking about that. And obviously, that's something near and dear to our hearts at Content Allies, which people probably know is our you know, parent empowering entity behind leaders of B2B. We love B2B podcasting. Yeah, love love to dive into that topic. It is sort of a pet of mine. I've been doing it for, gosh, eight years now. Yeah. So 
I'll, I don't know how or why you got started in on it, but can I just share with you some of the reasons why it's intriguing to me? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. These conversations happen, you know, kind of all the time. People are so interested in this, this channel now. I, I think I know some of the reasons, but it would be good to hear it directly. Okay. Well, here's something that I've really never publicly shared with people. So even those, if they see this later on my LinkedIn, will probably be surprised. Um, I wanted to see if I could. And so I started a personal uh, podcast about, and I haven't touched it for at least two and a half years. Um, it was about travel. I started to uh, create something about marketing about five years ago. And then I realized how hard it was to organize everything around a podcast and get people in and get guests in. And only about half of the guests I actually found had super valuable content. And the others, I felt like I was doing favors for people in my network. And so I just stopped. I said, okay, I'm just, I'll just put that aside. It's a hobby. I'm not getting paid for it. And then a couple years later, I was on vacation in Scotland and having such a fabulous time. I just, I don't know what I came over me. I told my guide, I'm like, can I record what you're talking about today? Because I'm starting a travel podcast. And literally that's how it started. I just started recording this guide in Scotland and ended up putting out a short little podcast show on Scotland just to see if I could. I don't do anything with it. It sits out there on the web. I still get, I have thousands, thousands of downloads without doing anything. It's a long-term play. People visit this website that I haven't updated in three years <laughs> and marketers and I, and marketers were stuck with short-term and long-term. There's things that build over time. Like we need to have a website and you need, you build it over time to make a content library that is worthy of helping sales and educating your customers and having content that's worthy of organic Google search results. So it's, that's, there's a long-term play, but what you're doing and what I love is I think podcasting has the ability to bring an authentic brand personality or voice to a story that is different from the, maybe the formalities or the pushiness that we write in short marketing copy. And you, I follow you on LinkedIn and, uh, God help you. Yeah. I think you're a creator, right? So it's follow, not connect. I'm a creator now. Oh my goodness. What happened? Yeah. But the, the way you work with, I guess they're your clients. I didn't understand at first that they were your clients until I reached out and, you know, understood that this is your business. You're very smart in how you continually um, promote and share other people's content. So they share it to their network. I just think it's such a smart opportunity for marketers to stand out above the crowd. And come on, let's talk about Google search, right? I said Google search on your website, but if you have audio, okay, now you're probably, I'm assuming you guys are, you're putting people on Spotify, on Apple podcasts, on Google podcast. There's all these different outlets that people can discover you on and marketers, if there aren't, hungry for this now they should be they're missing the boat well i appreciate the you know the adulation is nice and thank you and there's a lot of strategy behind it and i started doing this years ago when i was running sales for well a number of b2b tech services types of companies but in particular 
we at the, the firm at the time, we wanted to be in contact with CTOs and we dealt in the software development space. And if you know anything about that space, everybody who is a CTO gets a hundred messages a day, even back then, five, six years ago from dev shops wanting to work with and, you know, sort of get their business. And it's just, it's, you know, sort of overwhelming amount of noise. And we knew we wanted to have conversations with people and we looked at the vehicle available to do that. And, you know, outbound marketing just wasn't going to cut it. So we kind of said, well, if you go back to your principles of network marketing, back when we all went to happy hours and coffees and what have you, which seems a very long time ago, you know, people say, well, how do you make a relationship in networking? And who's the most interesting person in the room is always the person you remember is the person who asks you all the questions. And I said, well, okay, you know, the people who ask the questions are effectively interviewers. So how can we interview people to, you know, sort of develop that personal connection? And there were different vehicles and there still are. And you hear people talking about, well, we invite our, you know, we invite people to do webinars and, you know, there's this sort of distribution nature and polish to a webinar that is okay. You know, that's fine. We invite them to be speakers. We invite them to be on our panel. And I think all those things have their place, uh, but they're singular events in time. And you need to do a lot of those things and then distribute that content all over the place. And it's still stilted. Uh, it still gives you this inauthentic idea that I can invite people to be an expert and they will continue to have conversations, you know, with and on our behalf. And I just don't find that that's actually true. So the podcast thing came about and we said, well, all right, we're going to make a podcast where it's not about what we do. We're not trying to promote thought leadership in the sense that we're so smart and you should listen to us. Uh, that traditional idea of thought leadership is, I guess it's accurate. You know, if you want to be a broadcaster or a creator or what have you, uh, there is some of that. But to us, it felt more valuable at the time that we ought to be asking people what they were expert in and make a property that made sure that everybody knew they were an expert. And um, there's a psychological reciprocity to that, that that plays out well, because now if I've, Laura, I've collected your smartness and tell everybody about it, who are you going to remember, you know, when, when things come back up, you know, in business networking purposes. So not dissimilar to you should meet people and you should give them opportunities and deliver value as much as possible. And podcasting is a way to distribute that in an authentic way. So we can have coffee conversations and we can uh, achieve all these, you know, well, we need content, we need pillar content, we make articles and social and you know, all these things. Well, what if I didn't make a bunch of stuff that was about me, but we made it about the people who we wanted to care about us. And, um, Content Allies is not my company directly, but I work with Jake, the founder, and uh, he was of the same mind of that. So could we take uh, these types of content strategies and turn them around on their head? You still got all the things you thought you were going to get, but isn't it better to talk to your potential customer? You know, most of our guests don't become our customer. We do want to provide a, a meaningful path to just have conversations and build our network. 
if somebody we interview ends up wanting to do their own podcast, that's a good thing for us. And that's the way that, that we think about it. So uh, it's a non-salesy type of approach of making people aware of the channel that we work in. Right. Well, one of the things that you just said that's really smart, actually, before I get into your really smart thing, how many have you re recorded? Like, when did you start? Because I think you're about 100 or 100 and something now. I don't know when you started. I have to be honest. I'd have to check our website to even know that. I know it's it's well, pretend well past, it's 100. <laughs> well past 100. Yeah. Uh, and we started in December 2020. Oh, okay. So we haven't even gone a year now. For a while, we we're on a, a pretty solid clip of doing five or six interviews a week and putting out three episodes. We got a little, got a little backed up in the summer. People got busy, so we're we're kicking that back up again. I have done a podcast where we released five days a week and did hundreds of episodes in a year. It's quite difficult, and uh, honestly, it's exhausting. You know, because I take my interviews seriously, so you know, the prep work isn't totally overwhelming, but you are on stage, you know, sort of making a good presentation for a while. And it does get exhausting to do so many interviews and they start to run together and you kind of go, I want to do something unique. Uh, and I'm not Brian Williams here. So I got <laughs> got to figure this out. I don't have a, a week to prepare. Well, there's a lot more around it too, besides just the interview. I feel like people hear that 20 minute clip or that 25 minute clip. There is so much more around the value of a podcast to what is the content you place on your website? Are you just going to do a transcript? Are you going to turn it into a, a blog post, a listicle? You can get three or four different or more clips for LinkedIn that have little audio clips or quotes from it. Like there is a longevity that your clients can get out of this that is really cool, but it's also time intensive, right? So you've got graphic design, you've got copywriting, you've got the technical editing. So podcasts sound fun. Like let's just do interviews all day <laughs> long, but it's there's a, quite a bit of work. So, I mean, that's how I found and discovered Content Allies was through... Uh, in internet search. Like if I wanted to create a podcast program for a business, because there are some business podcasts that I listen to that not regularly all the time, actually, when they come up in my LinkedIn feed, I'll click in and listen right. to them. I don't follow them on my podcast player, but I see them in my LinkedIn and I'll listen. And there's some companies I think really doing a nice job with it. So I was looking for sources. And when I hit the content alley, um, allies website, it was almost like I wrote the copy. I'm like, yeah, I, that's, that's what I do. <laughs> So good, I tried, good. I don't know if you remember, I tried to, to pitch and, and to see if we could start our, our own and the timing being a, currently at a very small, like a seed stage startup, mm -hmm. the timing is just not correct for us at this exact point, but I'm still not right. giving up hope. <laughs> yeah, it's a great vehicle. Uh, you know, so anybody that wants to make relationships with your potential customer, that's, I think, a really important thing, particularly at a, at a startup, you know, where you don't have the ability to do omni-channel marketing and you just absolutely plow dollars into, you know, spend on all kinds of sponsorships. And I mean, we see people able to tie together a lot of pillar work and relationships with, with podcasting. And we run our own playbook, you know, that that's actually a really valuable thing. And anybody that's been a guest on the show, I think would know that we don't hardcore pitch them to, you know, go do their own thing. But if there's some interest and there very often is. Uh, maybe it's the right place at the right time for us. I don't know if we did this six years ago, if it would have would have hit. Now people happen to be interested in this this channel. So uh, as with any business, it's it's definitely 
opportune. It is a tremendous amount of work in any given property. Uh, you're really talking about the, the management, the production, pre-production, post-production, audio, video, social, written, graphical, uh, you name it. And, and then written in long form, written in short form, social posts, six different social networks. You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. And people will often look at it and say, well, I could do that internally. And it's, of course you could. Everybody has skills. The question is then, you know, what people on your staff are sitting around with nothing to do. Sure, you could deploy that same budget and, you know, hire and manage a whole bunch of people, but it really comes down to uh, expertise. Like I am relatively decent at, you know, technology things. And I feel like an absolute idiot when I try to edit video. I can't, I can't figure it out at all. I can't do anything with a, a source, but my kids on their iPhones are better than me. And and then I kind of go, all right, you know, I get, I get why that's, that's difficult. I can't, I, I could not put up a video on YouTube that looked even remotely decent of our interviews. So to be able to rely on that, you know, sort of worldwide team of nine different people that attack raw audio and video and turn it into uh, a magnificent pile of things that go live on on LinkedIn and follow our guests around. I mean, that's it's, it's pretty cool. And um, I think it's a powerful vehicle that anybody could use. It's very difficult to build and deploy what we've done here. And that's just based on years of, you know, sort of starting and figuring out you know, yeah. companies and content, um, content agencies and digital agencies. And I think the combination of those experiences is, has been important. Yeah, it's really kind of exciting. You mentioned six years ago, you didn't know if like this would be an interesting business model. And I don't think it would have been because it was about six or seven years ago that I actually was looking at doing something like this as a business model, which is why I was so impressed with what you do. I'll just step back into my career for a little bit at that point, I had been in industrial automation, barcode scanning, machine vision from the startup growth stage. So I'd been in the same industry from the same company, but new jobs promoted every three years or so um, for almost 20 years to the point where at the end, I had this outwardly very successful looking life and this great job. And I was traveling around the world and I had global teams and I was speaking on stage. I was winning awards, blah, 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 blah. But inside, I, I was kind of a broken person. I was, I was everything career and nothing about family and super unbalanced and feeling burnt out. And I didn't really realize how burnt out I was until I decided to take a pause. I had been heading a three company merger for, it was a, it ended up being about a four year project that I was traveling 50 to 75% of the time for three, like three straight years. And so when the merger was complete enough and all of my, everything was restructured and done and put back to place, I said, you know, I'm not going to move to your corporate office on the East coast. How about we transition my role? You hire locally and I'll take a break. And so I decided to take that risk and take a career break. And in that silence, in that gap, I was like, what do I even do? I didn't know what to do. I'd been doing all this hectic da, 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 stuff for so many years. And I came across a guy named John Lee Dumas. I don't know who, yeah. Do you know? <laughs> yeah. So he was. I've, I've interviewed John on a, a previous podcast. Fantastic guy. Entrepreneur on fire. I yeah. bet they're, st are they still doing the show? I, I imagine Maybe. so. I've... I don't, I think so. Actually, yeah, no, they are. Cause I'm still, I get emails from him, but I read his book. He wrote a book. He had just written it. I was probably in one of the first groups of people that joined podcast 
Paradise. So I've got this lifetime membership from, I don't know, like seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. And because I wasn't working constantly, you know, I just had this time and I was listening to podcasts and I was just sort of ruminating on a bunch of things in my career. And I thought, wow, the power of doing something like this and applying it scale to some of the challenges and the communications challenges that I faced at, at our company in the acquisition I had been in, I started an internal company radio station sort of with the president. So he could do these weekly interviews with people across the acquired companies. So we all knew each other. And that was before I just really discovered podcasting. Well, I became so enamored with it that I put together a business plan and, and said, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to test this out. I called up someone from this large, large automation magazine that I used to spend a ton of money with their sales guy and said, Hey, I got this great idea for a business. You guys should add podcasts. Um, here's what we can do. I can help, you know, I can figure this part out. And he was like, Oh, that's really interesting, but I'm not really sure. And I'll talk to my publisher and I'll get back. About a week later, he came back to me. He's like, no one's interested. No one's going to listen to podcasts. Everyone thinks podcasts are just, you know, they're just don't take them seriously. Well, I kid you not, that exact same magazine, staff has turned over since then, right? So we're talking, I don't know, six years later, seven years later, that exact same magazine today, I'm trying to do some work with. And I said, hey, what does it cost to be on your podcast? Just the interview, before they write an article, just the interview, which puts you on their website and on all of those players, $6,000. It's like 6100 bucks. Oh, and if you want them to do the notes and write an article, you know, about it, it's 8100 So it's like a pay-to-play kind of thing. Model. Oh, big time. Now it's a business model. And I see others in the automation manufacturing industry. In fact, a guy that was starting out doing podcasting, personal podcasting through Podcaster Paradise, the same, like four years ago, he's now started a paid podcast in the manufacturing industry. And I reached out to him and said, Hey, what are you charging to be on your show these days? He's like $5,000. Like really? So basically it's like a PR PR placement, you know, type of thing. It's, it's interesting to hear that because people ask us all the time when we reach out, you know, essentially expecting that we're going to flip the script on them and, well, what does it cost? Is it free to be on? And, and this is a service that we really just provide. You know, no, it's just free PR. We're going to hand you a whole bunch of stuff and have a cool conversation. Uh, but business models, because like of business models like that, we're actually not big fans of those, those types of, of things because I think that it takes a little bit away of the organic and authentic nature of why you would have a conversation. A pay-to-play interview on any legitimate news source would be you know, sort of frowned upon, right? You know, and so I don't know if that's journalistic integrity as much as it's, uh, it's you know, it's okay, right? You know, I mean, you you should get an honorarium if you're a speaker on on something. So why not flip it the other way? But uh, it's interesting to hear that because we get we get challenged on that a lot, and we just say, actually, no, we're just being cool, and we just want to make a good show. So. Yeah, making a good show is important. But so uh, if we look at the product adoption curve. I'm not if you if you've done product marketing and product marketer stuff. So you've got the innovation and then the early adopters and then you get to the early majority and the late majority. It's like this hill, right? So I think six years ago, podcasting as a serious medium and not just a hobby, a podcasting that could be more for 
business engaging conversations people can learn from was really at the innovator stage. I still feel we're at the early adoption stage, getting up to be probably into the high end of that. But now is when you see people jumping on the bandwagon and just charging a bunch of bank. But to do that, you better have a darn good podcast and a darn good following. Well, you would have had to have started forever ago or grown exceptionally, you know, based on paid or or something like that. I mean, you look at a John Lee Dumas or, you know, somebody like that. They were basically early in the same way that if if you had an authoritative blog in 2012 and continued to post on a regular basis, you're you're going to dominate SEO for for different things. And so I think podcasting discoverability now, which is like almost a brand new science that we're getting into the early stages of that. How do I rank a podcast in B2B? It's a whole different thing. But I think there's an early land grab for like sort of key search terms even. So, you know, organic podcast growth is going to be an enormous channel and it's an own channel, I think, which is good. And people need to understand that. Like, it's not the same thing as using social. Um, You now will have a property. It can have its own web address, its own name. You distribute that thing through some other person's platform, but you weren't wholly dependent upon that platform because podcasts grew up in a a distributed fashion. I can consume a podcast from anywhere, from any app that I choose. It may be Spotify, it may be Apple because they're making a big grab for the market, but there's hundreds of niche apps that you can consume from. So by nature of that, we have a distribution model, not an owned model, which is saying, I'm only going to have a YouTube channel. I'm only going to have a Facebook page. Those are different things. Right. Exactly. The the own channels. But I I think, I'm not sure. I remember reading about it. And I don't test this. I think that they're actually doing more of an audio search function, whether it's in implementation now or that it's forthcoming. So the same way PDF document content is now coming up as searchable in Google. It didn't used to be that way. Google used to be, you know, you'd have to have your content able to be indexed by spiders on your website. Well, now your actual PDFs can't are indexable. And I believe that audio and podcasting, but if it's not Google, it's someone else is working on that. So that if you're having these conversations and you're talking about questions, so Google wants to help people answer questions. How do I, how did you, what's an example of all of those listicle type things. And we're talking it just really makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And they will do that. And you'll be able to see indexed audio and indexed video. And, you know, if you look at like the machine learning and, and AI space just needs to consume enormous amounts of material and have it spot checked so you can train models against it. That's why things like Google Voice exist because they're saying, hey, how would I do to transcribe your voicemail. Well, actually it's terrible, you know, but it's gotten better over the course of time. And everybody, every one of us driving around talking to Siri or talking to Google and having it transcribe our text messages, you're really just feeding the machine a bunch of data so that the machine can figure out ultimately how to make that better and better and better. And that's why, you know, proper nouns are being capitalized and, you know, weird words are coming out the right way and it's intuiting punctuation and stuff. This is just because of you know, we're training those models, all of which will be turned back around. And, and Amazon does the same thing with, with AWS now having all kinds of, you know, AI and audio engines and Azure is doing it at Microsoft. And so absolutely, you will see that 
And what are they going to do is go back and index that huge body of content that already exists. So getting in the business now of having that stuff out there is going to be beneficial to anyone. You know, those are, those are the original properties that are going to get locked in. And so it's like, if you search entrepreneur podcasts, you're going to get entrepreneur on fire because it's so well placed and the algorithms though for ranking are not as well established. So there's still an opportunity now to say, uh, because I can only index based on name and some kind of rough authority figure in, let's say in a Spotify, uh, therefore you can still land grab on things like, so we just placed a major podcast, you know, high ranking in business innovation. You couldn't do that for web and SEO anymore. It's, it's totally saturated, but we can get a podcast to rank for hot terms like that and then stay. And there's a virtual cycle. So what did you get that to rank in? Are you talking about like Google podcast or Apple podcast, or are you just talking about in Google search? Cause if I type in a term like HR podcast, marketing podcast, actually everyone has a marketing podcast, right? Marketing podcast, you know, across the top, instead of shopping, you know, you get those shopping feeds, you, you actually see podcast yeah. covers. So is that where you're, you're getting for your Yeah. Podcast? So Google, Google seeds the main search page with sometimes results that come from the Google podcast yeah, okay. property. Right. And so what you're trying to do there is rank in the Google podcast sort of sub property because they then put it into the SERP and they'll continue to iterate that. That's why you see shopping changes the way it shows up or news or Twitter shows up in there, you know, because of certain things. So as they change the way that they find podcasts are now more popular, I should rank that better in the same way they treat YouTube videos or whatever. You're going to see that become more and more valuable. So it gives you this sub property idea. So when I say we can rank those types of terms, you do it for Google Podcasts, you do it for Apple Podcasts, you do it for Spotify, because these are all search boxes that are essentially competing against each other in that sub realm. And then we presume that a player such as Google pays attention to the zeitgeist enough to know people care about podcasts. They may ultimately say, you don't even need to stick the word podcast on there. I'm just going to serve that to you because we know so much data about so many people that we just know that People consume podcasts, so I should toss that up to the top now instead of a tweet or instead of news or shopping or whatever. The machine gets better and better and better. But there does become an opportunity now to say that um, I can essentially get word value that I couldn't get in any other property because podcasting discoverability is now becoming more mature. Cool. So do you work with marketers usually? Is it usually the marketing person that comes up? comes to you or finds you or are you finding you've mentioned you're finding clients or having them on your show and you're going after i don't know if your profile is still cto you said you started out cto type that was a different so business how, so yeah your... well uh, we have the fortuitous nature of having a ceo who is uh, also an seo genius so uh, i could not begin to explain to you how the marketing minds have made things work but we get a tremendous amount of inbound from our our B2B podcasting positioning so that, you know, we come up highly ranked on, on those types of things. So lots of inbound and it, it is often, I still see people consume podcasts or think about podcasts much more in the marketing realm than they do 
in other places. And then that makes sense. Brand voice, thought leadership, you know, these content marketing types of things are are traditionally the domain of marketers. I have a little bit of a bent myself, and I think we all agree over here that like, well, let's at least be revenue marketers, you know, this, this, uh, because you need to have KPIs and it's like tying business KPIs to these things. It may ultimately, or let me, let me go back and say, like, I don't believe it's, it's a modern marketer's dream scenario to just go, yeah, we just want more brand voice or, Hey, we want social mentions or whatever. like there has to be KPIs to these things. And, uh, being someone who's a, a founder, entrepreneur, and sales person, I just believe in revenue. So I go, let's think about ways that we could also achieve at the same time, content marketing goals, uh, account-based marketing goals, revenue marketing goals. And of course, yeah, we need brand positioning. We need all those things. But but to say that, well, we just want to be thought leaders, how do I measure that? I can't write a check in you know, my thought leadership credibility and take it to the bank. So I'm a little cynical on if we don't talk about revenue, at least some yeah. KPI that gets there. Well, the thing about thought leadership is it's an earned position. So you could say, oh, we have a thought leadership program and I do something once a month. Well, that's not a thought leader. So a thought leader is like who's <laughs> out there today, who's out there tomorrow, who's out there, which is why like LinkedIn is kind of an interesting platform. People are making plays to be thought leaders on. So it's not just a one thing. Thought leadership is continually earned. Sure. But you can't just go straight to the sale if no one knows who you are. So there is this huge awareness vehicle. Sure. And at one some point, there's a numbers game in that funnel. You know, it takes an average of 18 touch points and 2,000. That number seems points. to go up all the time. I don't know. Like It used to be nine back in the day. Now it seems like 18, which just speaks to the noisiness. So I think my... My thinking is, and this is consistent with what we see people do, is like, I agree you should have regular content. I agree you should be positioned as an expert. And you also have the goal of saying, if you're a business that doesn't have your top 100 target accounts or 200, like, who do you really want to do business with? Well, they want to be an expert too. Right. They, they Right? So Engage now- Engage conversation. Invite them to have a discussion where exactly. you're- Exactly. Tagging them on LinkedIn isn't sure. going to do that. Right. Asking them to write you a blog post isn't going to do that. Webinar, maybe, but everybody's like ho-hum, you know, because everybody knows nobody's going to show up to your webinar. You know, and so what's a way to do that? Well, how about if I invite them- treat them to the expert questioning and then promote their expertness. What you find as a host there is uh, you called me before you're a creator. And sometimes people say, well, you know, since you're an influencer in this space and I go, that's hilarious because I'm just running the playbook. And I, you know, before anybody gave a damn about listening to ledge or anyone on a podcast, we're just some person that talked. And who did we talk to? We talked to interesting people that others want to have input from. And by the magic of osmosis of this strategy, people start to go, oh, I'd like to talk to that person. <laughs> you kind of go like, well, that's funny because I'm still some dude in my living room and I picked up some knowledge along the way. Uh, but I think that's the organic nature of it. No one, if you set out to go, we want to be a thought leader, that's not the point. Like you have to set out to have really amazing conversations. Why not have them with the people you wanted to do business with anyway? Now you're checking sales goals and revenue goals and marketing goals, and you're achieving the osmosis of thought leadership. 
the way that is in a more organic, authentic passion. So to go back to your original question, yes, I talk to a lot of marketers and I try to change a lot of minds and say, you can do all the things that you thought you were doing this for. But also, why don't we think about how it could impact down the funnel? Like, really, if you go back and you say we achieve business results, you're going to get more budget than if you go back and say, hey, we're thought leaders now. Well, how do you know? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, so I don't know. You know, I don't want to say I'm cynical with it, but I just I want I am a CRO advocate. Like I want a full revenue funnel where marketing and salespeople are totally aligned to like, let's grow this business. Thus, all the strategies should in some way be tied back to that as close as we can do it. Yeah. Well, and today it's possible. We have all those tools, right? Between CRM and marketing automation integrations. And um, it's actually very exciting that there is the ability to track things through the funnel, but it's not always a straight line. Like we just mentioned, marketing attribution is just this huge hot potato. So you said that your old school was nine touches. Wow, I was even older school. I was saying there used to be this rule of seven that it would take seven brand interactions. And that is super old school. Now I saw a joke, I'm assuming it was a joke meme <laughs> on, on LinkedIn just about a week ago that showed that it, it showed like two touches from this. It was a cheerleader and someone was standing on top of someone else. And there was a <laughs> boxing ring at the top. It said like three touches from sales, deal closed, woohoo. Then underneath the person, the cheerleader at the base, it said marketing team, 48 touches, <laughs> six social media posts, three emails, six months. And, you know, it's it's a joke. It's not really 48. It can't be 48 touches, but. Oh, it could be. Attribute. It's all timing, right? Yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Just like every single company defined that I've ever worked at defines marketing completely different. Every single buyer for your product or prospect has a different way they serve and different emails coming in their inbox, a different boss personality, a different office dynamic. So there's never going to be a one size fits all. Yeah, that's right. And look, those touch points, I think everybody agrees. And you read this all the time. Your, your content should have value. Your every touch point should have value. And, you know, so we came up with these inauthentic kind of ways of like, okay, sales rep, you know, why don't you go out and research an article and send it because you need a touch point because it's your CRM told you to do that. And all those things, look, those are great. Cool. You know, do those things. And I still think it's better if, you know, nine of my 18 touch points are just about how awesome you are. And I'm telling the whole world that you know, like that makes sense. We need content and we need to add value. Well, what's the best way to add value? Say nothing about me and say all the things about how great you are. And I can do that by interviewing and turning you into a, a thought leader appearing human with a bunch of videos and, you know, posts and, and the whole thing. We still accrue the value to the owned property of, in this our case, leaders of B2B. And, and again, we started from zero also interviewing people. And now people ask us to be on our show. And that's in less than a year of just running the concerted playbook which is exactly what we do for clients. We don't want every person on our show to like fawn over like, yay, I should do a podcast, but at least you become aware of it and we got to add some value. Yeah. And people have different motivations for doing it. So I'll be honest, my motivation, because right now it's throughout my career, I've worked at big companies 
and this is the smallest company I've worked at. I, I am currently at a seed stage startup, had never done that before. So I wanted to have that experience. And I absolutely fell in love with and believe in the success of this product, which is why I joined, but I've never had this limit, this, you know, last team budget. I've never had this limitation set before. So it's very much doing it myself, you know, editing the videos, do, doing all these elements myself. And I want to do so much more. I want to accomplish what I used to accomplish with a team, but it's just me. So for me, a podcast is also an economy of scale because everything that I create as a marketer, well, okay, 90% of what I create as a marketer probably starts with a conversation with someone. So I'm on the phone with the product manager or the product expert, and I'm asking them questions, whether I'm recording that in a meeting or I'm taking notes, everything I create, whether you're creating a brochure, even a PowerPoint deck, a webinar, it all starts with a conversation. So my thought, which could be internal only or to, you know, polish enough for a podcast is if I can be really smart in those questions. And we can treat it in a professional manner. Maybe you can call it an audio blog or something, but it, it could really streamline the content process. Yeah, I think all internal people should do that. Uh, how much intelligence gets lost internally just by not doing anything? Now, we all record our sales calls and I have two terabytes of them, you know, and all internal calls probably get, you know, captured as well. Uh, but who goes back and actually does anything with it? So in fact, the initial model at Content Allies was just interview-based content where it's just, well, we'll interview your executives and turn it into thought leadership content for you. Uh, then we studied and we said, you know, hmm, you know, what's interesting, the successful and happiest clients are all podcast clients. Yeah, we can do all those other things. So let's flip the engine around and just say the pillar content now gets captured in the podcast realm. And it turns out that that develops relationships that, that the business didn't have anyway. So. Yeah, I love that you're using the term pillar content because that, that pillar content method is something that is just newer in the last few years around Google and search where you, you become a really, this pillar page on your website that really is the authoritative resource for that. Like HubSpot does a great job of pillar pages on different content. And you could do that through multiple different podcasts that connect. I actually... Um, had a woman that I met a few years ago that her business was helping others freelance, you know, produce podcasts. And she was working with, I think it was a lawyer who had a podcast who was, who, and was using it to write books. And so she figured that every certain number of podcasts, she would turn it and spin it into a book on those topics. So she had the outline of her book and then she would interview experts on different pieces and then publish a book. Yeah. Oh, you totally can do that. And I would encourage people to think of it that way. Like how many great conversations you have that can then now you need to run through an editorial process and it takes a lot of time. But I've, I've done this myself when I have an hour of me talking at my normal pace. There's some 25 to 30 pages of written content there. So you can, in fact, dictate a book. Now, you also need to pay an editor and, you know, sort of spend an inordinate amount of time figuring out how to turn that into to text things. It's not just a transcription, but you're right. You know, and I think the lost intelligence of not doing those things is, is critical. I'm watching the clock. I, we could do this all day. I so, just looked at that you know, too. I thought, okay, I could just talk to you about this kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm really impressed with what you're bringing 
to the market and the opportunities that you present. I don't think podcasts are mainstream discovered by marketers yet, but I hope they will be. Um, Not to junk up the podcast space, but to just be really smart with marketing, get that brand authentic voice and create connections with your customers, make your customers the hero of the story. Well, Laura, you probably have a future in sales as well, because you you just you flipped the script on me entirely today. I felt like I was doing a great interview. So I hope the audience you know enjoys the insights as as well. Usually I get to ask the questions and Laura took, you know, the total win on that one. So I appreciate being the interviewee today. Cool. Well, you're a great guest. You're a great guest. I, I appreciate, appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Laura, if anybody wants to get in contact with you, best channels, how do they find you? LinkedIn. I, I My name is the one. I am Laura Hoffman. I just You get to be the one. Slash Laura Hoffman. That's me. All right. All right. Go get it. Go get it. Well, thanks so much for hanging out. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks. Have a great day. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.